here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain. I would like to thank patreon.com uh, slash bsmpod, all of my patrons who support me and what I'm doing. But I would also like to very much pass on all the honorary welcomes and introductions that I can to Nikki, all the way from Germany, one of the best Fox players that you will ever see coming out of Europe and in general, a top 100 ranked player and somebody who you can even get lessons from over at patreon.com slash cones academy can find him on twitter over at at leffen fanboy nikki thank you so much for joining me yeah thanks so much for having me i'm looking forward to having a nice talk and representing the european scene hopefully i don't get anything wrong and don't get anyone mad but you know where, where would the fun be if i didn't you know mess up one or two times <laughs> Or maybe uh, maybe if you feel like you've been holding back, and I don't know how much holding back you do with, with Twitter because I think you, you put yourself out there pretty often, but what if there's a hot take that you were thinking of dropping at some point, maybe something like that, get the ball rolling on Reddit, I don't know. I mean, normally I don't aim for farming those kind of things, but it's always fun when it happens by accident. <laughs> I wanted to ask you firstly, about your familiarity with Exile. Uh, they've been on the podcast before with me, friend of the show, and about Camor as well. You'll be the first third official European smasher, but the first top player, I guess, since Exile and Camor probably wouldn't describe themselves as top players at the very least. Like, uh, First off, you saw Exile at the Smash World Tour European Regional Finals. How was that whole experience, and were you able to catch up with them? Um, I was... I didn't get to catch up with them that much. Um, we talked a bit, but there was a tournament around a month before in the Netherlands where Exile and myself also uh, both, that we both attended. And we actually did talk quite a bit there because the tournament, while it was a very fun tournament, uh, it was called Offline Smash. It was one of the first bigger IRL events back after COVID. Uh, there were some issues with like the amount of time the venue had and uh, like how long break it took. So once I had reached top eight in like winners finals, I had to just stand around for like three hours, even though Breka was supposed to keep going. So I had plenty of time to, you know, uh, talk to anyone I wanted to. I talked a lot to Safe State, who's also really nice, super cool. And I talked a bunch uh, with Exile and uh, we just had a grand old time. We uh, shared some cake that I brought to the tournament with Exile. So yeah, amazing person. Uh, just want to make sure that Exile doesn't work too much because I know that there's that Exile likes likes to work and does a bunch of stuff for the community. Uh, and, you know, there's some people who just do too much. And I want to make sure that we're all loving the game, doing our best for the community, but we don't feel obligated to do things that aren't, you know, absolutely necessary. And yeah, that's kind of the vibe I got. But, you know, great person to be around. Uh, and I really enjoyed finally meeting Exile in person properly for the first time because I didn't really know them before COVID but you know during the whole online era you get to message and talk to a bunch of people and yeah that's when I really started knowing them a bit better so meeting them actually in person was really nice. That's really cool to hear. And I would echo the same sentiments. The EU Melee's news report was a lovely podcast. There's a, like a short 10 minute or so long news report about all things in the European Melee scene, which 
over here in America, one of the common refrains that you'll hear whenever somebody brings up European melee, they'll always say, oh, they don't quite get enough like love or representation or, or enough attention because there are a lot of talented players over there who are making waves and trying to get better at the game and everything. But then there's, and I'm not saying it's because of one particular Swedish Fox player or anything consistently posting on Twitter that European Melees is not as good as he would like it to be, but maybe perhaps there is a little bit more of a star-studded cast over in North America. You can't help it. Between Canada and the United States, there's just a, a like a, a, a larger pool, if you will. It's always that eternal thing, I feel like, where even though there's there's plenty of talented players over in Europe, it's 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 harder because there's a little bit less, uh, I guess the pool is a little bit smaller of the talented players that do play over in Europe, but Exile, to, to the point that I was making, Exile was wonderful at keeping track of a lot of different results in France, especially, but in going into the COVID era, keeping track of all kinds of European melee bracket results, updating Wikipedia like crazy, doing the yeah. podcast, TOing stuff, doing so many things, and I'm happy that they've taken a few steps back just to make sure that the workload isn't too big aside from living a normal life and all that stuff yeah because there's still other stuff you have to do as a person outside of smash unfortunately uh, i'm really happy that i got to be part of the eu melee news report at least once uh, i did the voice recording for it once when excel didn't have time for it uh, and that was super fun um, but i also that kind of showed me how much work it really is you know, just doing the voice recording that I did wasn't that much work, and I really enjoyed doing it because I just like talking. But, you know, having all the relevant information in one place and then being able to, you know, make sure you're not forgetting anything. You need people who regularly, like, update spreadsheets or, like, write down information and things that happened in the scene during the past two or three weeks. It's rough. Like, you either need someone who's just super into it and who's going to do it anyways, or you just, like, have to sit down every other evening and make sure you're not missing any any sponsor news, any big online tournaments that happened. Yeah. Um, since you also brought up, uh, you know, Leffen saying that Europe might not be, or might not have the talent pool that the US has, um, I think there's a lot that goes into that. So if we just look at uh, player skill, I think obviously, like, with Armada not playing anymore, Leffen is by far the best player in Europe. But if we're honest, like he would probably be the by far best player in pretty much any region, right? Like, I I could see a world where Leffen lives in SoCal and still complains that you know, wow, this one very good player isn't attending locals every week, or you know, maybe like, oh, uh, these players are good, but they're still not as good as Zane, so I, you know, I can only play Kodorin and. That's not good enough practice against Zane or something. I don't know. He probably would do that because I think he's gotten a lot more mature with these takes. And he knows that it's not really helping anyone when he says that EU is lazy. But I, I see where he's coming from. But I do not believe that the way he talks about it is helpful. Um, whenever I see him tweet or say things like that, I definitely see where he's coming from. Because he's the type of person where when he was an up-and-coming player, if someone had called him like lazy or European melee lazy, that would have super motivated him, I can imagine. He would have been like, no, I'm going to prove these people wrong. I'm going to just get become the best in the world and beat them, right? But if we look at it, 
most players, most good players, especially in Europe nowadays, they know that doing full-time melee or putting their all into melee just isn't that worth it. Uh, or at least it's very risky, right? Like if you drop, you know, your work, your job or your studies or whatever for melee and then melee doesn't work out, it's just, you know, very... It's very not secure at all. And also, even if it does work out, you're not going to be living the most luxurious life compared to if you just like study IT and then like get a nine to five job at a bigger company, right? Uh, so he's the type of person who would get motivated by that. But the people who have already made the decision that, you know, they want to try to get better on the side, but they also want to, you know, make sure they're living a good and healthy life and that they're moving their career forward. They might just be like, okay, I'm like doing a bit, like I'm trying to get better. But all I get for it is like people, you know, continuously saying that I'm bad. So like, why should I try to get better? You know, like I'm, I'm just doing this mostly for fun anyways. And if that isn't enough for people, then I don't care. Right. So saying that people are not doing enough might motivate some people. I know like Kingu, who is a very young up and coming player from the UK. Uh, I think Kingu is very motivated by that kind of rhetoric. But I personally just feel like, yeah, you're like kind of worsening the image of our whole community and you're not actually motivating the people who would be, you know, closest to maybe one day beating you, right? Because uh, like there's already some people who can take games from Leffen. Uh, even when, you know, he's playing decently well, a bunch of the European up-and-comers have taken games before. So it's not like he just three stocks all of us every single game. Um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff I could say about that. I also think that uh, his coaching that he did for a bit was a very good idea, but I don't think he does it anymore. I think I looked into getting a session because I think he had some money back guarantee if you didn't improve within like two or three months. And I was like, well, I can just do the coaching and if I don't improve, then maybe I can, I can get a bit of the money back. Uh, but in the end, uh, he can do what he wants. We, we shouldn't judge him too harshly. His intentions are very good. He just wants people to get better because he cares very deeply about the game. Uh, so us Europeans shouldn't get too worked up about it and he shouldn't get too worked up about the fact that you know people might not be trying as hard as he wishes they would be because everyone should consciously play the game and be aware of their relationship to the game because if you just mindlessly grind, grind, grind and ne neglect other stuff in your life, that's... You know, might make you a little bit better at the game, but 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what does that do for you? There is one player in the entire world who is already auto-invited to two summits, and his name is Pipsqueak. I, so I know, right? There, Not Zane. There are, hundreds, there are hundreds of European melee players who practice regularly, who attend events either online or in person regularly, but just one player who is actually able to possibly be able to make this work into something that he can make a living on in, in pips week so to your point you were saying earlier about how a lot of players are very much aware this is not a pipeline to becoming a full-time esport like melee player because the infrastructure of that doesn't exist it's not allowed to exist however you want to phrase it because of our publisher in nintendo so that's the bottom line there and I, I would imagine that from Leffen's perspective, he's just hoping for a player who is as competitive as he is and and also skilled because it does take skill as well as practice and, and a competitive drive, you know. Like, I, I picture Leffen to be, like, about the most competitive person that Melee has. Just for of, sure. 
like yeah. or at least or at least up there incredibly up there, yeah. top five definitely mm-hmm. for sure so I'm, i i would imagine that it's also just an open wish for somebody to like just go back at him and that both on on the sticks and also on the internet as well <laughs> i i yeah. i can't quite picture uh, anybody like left and lifting up a uh, a simba uh, from the lion king and being like this is the new player who just comes out and then beats him but uh kingu or other up and coming european players because it's not just the 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 people who've been playing for 5 plus years it's also new talent who've kind of gotten involved in the slippy era hopefully in the coming years if they continue to improve and stay motivated to like to continue to practice and get better at melee they'll be a new generation of european melee players to watch yeah, we can get more into uh, how I view the new versus old generation a bit later. Uh, one thing I would like to add about the Leffen saying you should do more thing is if you think about it, like when I started playing, I went to my locals and there was like some local player who's like kind of good, but like on a national German scale, like not that relevant. If they would like trash talk me or make fun of my play, I would be hella motivated because I can tell like I, I can definitely beat this player. Like... Give me like two months and I'll mess them up. But when you're like someone who's like ranked barely top 50 in Europe and Leffen calls you lazy, it's like, damn, like how much would I have to do for him to not call me lazy anymore? Would I have to like beat him? Would I have to take him to game five? And that can just be like two plus years of work to get there. So even if that happens, it's very hard to motivate yourself that way because you, you know that even if you like play six hours a day for six months straight, you might still not be close to a level where Leffen like respects you enough as a player to like actively want to play against you, right? So I think if he like if he like chose one person who he thinks has put in a lot of work, has gotten a lot better every month, then there would be like a nice balance between telling people they're lazy to motivate them versus also rewarding the people who actually put in the work. But right now it's mostly just like, yeah, people are people should do more. I don't get good practice. And we're just like okay cool like if you think that then you think that uh most of us have heard it so many times now that we don't really care anymore so it's just kind of whatever it has happened at least a, a few different times so that makes sense to me yeah no i wanted to ask you about your origin story uh how you got started with melee i guess this was probably if I recall correctly from the uh, SWT, the Smash World Tour infographics, you got started around 2015, or am I remembering wrong? Yeah, it was like uh, between 2015 and 2016. Yeah. Uh, I watched the Smash documentary, and just like so many people who started during that time did. Uh, I think I watched it in late 2014. And then I watched Melee for almost a full year without ever playing myself. You know, I would watch tournaments. Like, it was right around like Beast 5, I think. That's when I also made the Leffen Fanboy Twitter handle just because I thought it'd be funny to be able to follow these players, and there's no way I'm ever going to play the game myself, right? Like, I just want to see what the good players are up to and just, like, you know, be a zero follower account who lurks and, like, sees what Leffen tweets after beating Chillin' do it. That was me for uh, a long time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I just, like, chose a joke Twitter handle because I was very surprised it was available, and I figured it'd be, you know, it's, like, funny to have, and I didn't think anyone would ever see it. Uh, and then, like... In early, like middle of 2015, I decided to actually play the game a little bit. I actually got a Project M and just, you know, practice tech skill in there. I actually learned L-canceling and wave dashing by playing like Roy and Zero Suit and Project M and just like moving around. 
And it felt a bit more rewarding because obviously the game just feels a bit more smooth because stuff like dashback is a little bit easier and uh, like some some links just are, you know, like one frame easier than in Melee. And then eventually, you know, when I had practiced by myself for like three or four months in late 2015, I finally got the courage to actually go to a local because my city did have a weekly tournament. Um, but I was so afraid of going for months and months on end because I kept thinking like, damn, these players probably have been playing for years. They're so good. Like, would they even want someone like me who can't even like get 15 galint of ledge invincibility with every ledge dash yet? Like, why should I even go there? I wanted to be good before going to the local, which is something many people do and it's stupid. But I did it, and then I eventually went there, and it was fun. And I immediately got like fourth place or something out of like ten players. So yeah, I kind of over practiced before going to my first local. <laughs> Wait, so you're actually encouraging those people like me who also was afraid to go for a long time. Now I I have only gone one and two. I've never gone better than one and two. It's oh two or one and two. But you're still encouraging those people. Oh, so I can practice at home and then get fourth place out of 10 people if I just do that enough. Yes, you have to consider, though, that back in those days, I could not play anyone. I was just at home playing against computers. Exactly. People nowadays can just hop on Slippy and already get the experience of playing against a real human. So back then, I never really had an idea of how good the average player is. Because all I did was watch like the very big tournaments where the super, super best players were playing. Mm -hmm. And like, that's it, right? I had no idea how good a local scene on average would be. So I just figured that these people would be like somewhat close to those top players. But now, as we probably all know nowadays, that, that there's like 5,000 levels of skill difference between, you know, the people who win super majors and like your average guy who usually wins the local but isn't really ranked like on a bigger scale. Um, so yeah, I the reasons for me not going were just because I had a very big misconception about how good uh, melee players just are and how good I would have to be in order to be happy with my own play compared to them. If you're not going for like social reasons, then I can like that's I think an even more valid reason. But the thing is, is that if you know and like the game going to a local will be the easiest thing ever because everyone who's there is like the exact same as you they're just there to play this game that you both love so you can talk to anyone and just be like yo which fox color do you think is best and then you'll immediately get into like a two hour long conversation about the topic and you'll instantly have made a friend right so that's just kind of what you have to recognize is that your skill level doesn't matter because if you're like going now and you go one and two or if you go like three months from now and you go two and two like who the who the hell cares it doesn't make a difference but the earlier you go the earlier you'll make connections and the more you will be able to improve so it just kind of the earlier you go to locals it will just speed up your your entire like melee career both in terms of social connections and in terms of skill so just do it like worst case scenario you go there you play with people and don't talk to anyone if you don't if you want to do that that's fine like people won't bother you but if you want to go there and talk to people then just talk to people like what are they going to do if they don't want to talk to you they can just go away right it's not like you're forcing them to do anything so just have that confidence just go realize that you will be a bad player even if you practice for two more years at home because this game is just so freaking hard go out there have fun meet people play the game do some sick combos that's all there is to it and the earlier you can do that, the more fun you'll have with it. 
And like myself, it took me many, many years to actually finally go to my first IRL tournament. And I went, I should have done this a long time ago. Like that's, yeah. that's the feeling that I came away with. And I'm sure a lot of people, if they were being honest with admit, yeah, if I just, if I had just started when I wanted to firstly, then it just would have been, yeah, it would have been more fun. But uh, an encouragement to people who still haven't gone to their first IRL tournament or even are, are a little nervous to play on Slippy on Ranked or go to a Slippy event. Well, firstly, there's a lot of amateur tournaments where like ranked players aren't allowed and that sort of thing. And you can play against people more closer to your skill level, but also in the, in the IRL sense, it just, I, I love what you said about people are not going to get sweaty all the time and try really hard to win and pop off when they win or throw a controller when they lose the people are go there to have fun and make connections just to socialize. You have a great thing in common. You love melee. That's a great starting point. Exactly. Yeah. Just we're all nerds in some way or another and nerds like only very few of us will be like the typical high school bullies that some of us might have experienced. We're all just the people who are like on the sidelines doing their own thing. And now we can come together and do our thing together because now we don't have, you know, there's just thousands of people who enjoy the same thing that you do. And there's no easier way of making friends than just going to a place where you know for sure you'll have these things in common. And it's never too late, even for me. When I first thought about going to a melee tournament, it was 2006. Did not go until 2021. It's not too late. Jeez. Hell yeah, damn. Did you, were you actively like following the scene during all of that time? No. So in 2006, okay. I saw PC Chris versus Ken on YouTube, MLG, New York, you know, where, where PC Chris beats Ken for the first time and everybody goes, oh, it's the changing of the guard. And I'm like, uh, like 10 or 11 watching this and going, oh my gosh, I did not know you could short hop laser with Falco like that. So I instantly learned how to do that. But then I'm also still 10 or 11 years old and going, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. So I goes like, I would see big things, you know, like um, the documentary, an, arc, an article or two to the effect of this got shut down. Armada's not going because of the controller thing or Evo 2016, biggest streaming numbers of all time for Melee, like that kind of stuff. But I didn't get super involved until the end of 2018, actually. And then I didn't do this podcast until this year, January of 2021. Mm, I see. Nice. Yeah. Great to have you. Yeah. Um, thank you. Appreciate that. And I think I heard about you probably sometime in 2019 or some point because you, did you travel at all to the U S that year in the last year before COVID? Um, yeah. So the first time I went to the U S when I was, uh, flown out to Don't Park on the grass 2018 by Aiden. Oh, know, let's go. The Friend of the Aiden. program also. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I saw that he's in here. Uh, once again, like huge thanks to Aiden for doing that. He flew out a bunch of European players and like also a bunch of US players for the event. We all got to house in a nice Airbnb or just like a big ass house together. Uh, so it was really nice and I didn't do that well there. And then 2019, I went to Shine and that was like the first time I actually went to the US and did well, where I beat like Vortex, who I think was close to 100, top 100. I beat Boyd, who was like ranked top 70 in that year. And then I also beat Albert, uh, like this was a couple of weeks after he'd beaten Hbox. So that was like a very oh, juicy win yeah. to get. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of like when people first actually like realized like, dang, this player is like, you know, cause there's always these up and coming players from any region. 
But at that point, there was kind of like, okay, you can put a number to it. This player went to the US once this year, got like almost three top 100 wins. So this is probably a fairly safe bet for someone who might be on the next top 100 list. And uh, that already gives you a lot more credibility and exposure, you know, just going to the US, getting one or two of those wins, and then having your name show up on a, on a list like that. Because you were ranked top 100 in the year 2019, right? Yeah, exactly. At the end, like in early 2020, the list came out and then it was, you know, like 83rd or something on it. And then I also went to Genesis in early 2020, right before COVID. Uh, but that wasn't the greatest trip because I got sick on the flight there. And mm. I was actually wearing a mask at the tournament the entire time. Uh, and, you know, then like one month later, COVID was a huge thing and everyone was wearing masks. So I think I kind of like was the trendsetter for that. I was the first to wear masks at tournament. So... Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm just cool like that. But yeah, no, uh, Genesis was great. I uh, also got flown out there because there was a European circuit in 2019 where you could uh, collect points at different EU majors. And then like the top five or six people with the most points were flown out to Genesis. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, then I got sick on the way there and then I had to sleep on the floor for some other reasons that I will not go deeper into right now. Uh, the whole experience was a bit not that fun, but got to play against Mango and Bracket, did well, brought him to last stock both games. So that kind of showed me like, okay, even when I'm sick and I'm not feeling good, I can like not get double four stock by Mango. So I'll exactly. just take yeah, that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I think Shine was probably Shine 2019 is when uh, I got most of my good US wins. And also in 2019, like I started beating people like Professor Pro more often and got a few wins to people like AMSA and yeah that's when I think I you know got got there to the point where people actually are like yeah this player this player is good you know this is a this is a like internationally respectable player like in other words when you start to go into a stream match and people go Nikki from Germany. Oh yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Beat Vortex at Shine 2019. Yeah, that was such a sick set. Or, or well, maybe that wasn't played on stream at Shine 2019. But you get it. Yeah. You were able to, you were able to become more of a internationally known melee player. So, if the timeline matches, you went to your first local in like really early 2016, and then yeah, late 2015. Yeah, sure. And by the middle of 2019 four years later you're making enough waves to be a like or at the very least be a nationally internationally excuse me known player so i i would like to say that that was a pretty a pretty fast track to that level but would you disagree did you feel like it took you a really long time once you look back and you realize the entire timeline as it looks now does that feel like it took too long to get there or how do you feel about it um i think from the very beginning of my melee career in air quotes if you can call it that uh, i've been very conscious of what goals i'm setting for myself and i think there's that's something i also talk about in my coaching lessons that i do with people is that goal setting is very important but just having a goal in mind isn't enough you also have to put a time frame next to it if you just know okay i'm going to start playing melee i want to be top 100 and then you just play the game like there's nothing to ever hold yourself accountable to right like, you could just not play the game for months and be like, yeah, I could still be top 100 eventually, right? So it's like you have the goal, but the goal doesn't really directly motivate you in any way. And it's hard to actually track that goal because you can just kind of procrastinate on it for as long as you want. 
um, when I started playing, I had like very specific goals of like, okay, I want to play. And then when I went to my first couple of locals, I was like, all right, I want to be the best player in the city, uh, like one year from now, for example. And then like one year later, I like started winning tournaments in that city. And while I wasn't doing it consistently, I knew that, okay, you know, if there was like a ranking coming out, I, I could be up there. And then I eventually got on the German power ranking. Uh, and then like, I think the first time I got ranked on there, I was like rank 11th. And immediately I was like, oh my God, that's such a bad number. I know that all these players above me are so bad. I want to beat all of them. So then like I've picked my next goal that I like, you know, want to be like top three or top two until like one year from now. And if you just keep doing it that way, it's much easier to hold yourself accountable. Um, and also to track your actual progress. Because if you, let's say you come home after a long day of work and then, you know, you're kind of tired, you kind of want to relax but you also know that you kind of want to get better at melee. Instead of now just being like, yeah, I'm just not going to play, you can properly think about what am I trying to achieve right now? Until when do I want to achieve it? How close do I think I am? How much do I think I'll have to work for it? And then based on these assumptions, you can then properly decide, all right, I think I can take the day off. I don't feel so good. I'm just going to take a break. Or you can be like, yeah, I kind of don't feel like playing, but I really want to accomplish these goals. So let me do it. And then you can get there. Um, they were just kind of a little tangent on how I view goal setting. For me in particular, I don't think I improved too quickly. I th yeah, like obviously it was like, you know, quicker than most people who started playing during that time because I'm better than a lot of those people who started playing at that time. Uh, but I think like within that time frame, you can get much better if you really, really push it. But I was never really the type of person to force myself to play when I really didn't want to. I just feel like playing all the time, so I just play a lot. And, uh, you know, now that I've set new goals for myself uh, this year, I now know that I do have to force myself to play much more often to actually reach those goals. But since I know what I want to accomplish and what I have to do to get there, it will be easier for me to force myself to play more often. So, yeah, I don't think it was too crazy what I did. It was just, you know, like the the standard player who started playing like around 2015, who then you know, just got good, grinded tech skill, won tournaments slowly. Um, so it's good and I'm proud of that. I don't think it's too insane, but it's definitely something that I can be proud of and be like, yeah, I, I did what I wanted to. I achieved my goals all during the time frame. I, I set them in. So I'm happy with that. And Slippy coming out, What so Genesis is happening in early 2020, and then the pandemic sets in, and everybody's going, oh no, this is not good, because delay-based netcode is really not fun once you get to a certain distance, or if you refuse to plug into the Ethernet cord. So what's going to happen? Slippy comes out in June of that year, and everybody goes, hooray! And something that I saw over the course of 2020, and especially at the start of 2021, was like this conscious effort to make Europe because Europe can mostly play on on a playable connection with Slippy to try to have as many inter-European tournaments and the start of the same circuit for 2021 when that was announced uh, I think early January the first event for it being Valhalla I immediately thought this is like the coolest thing ever like because Europe can really use something like this because there's sort of like a story arc that just naturally builds into something like a circuit uh, that's why people like Matt Dot Zeb ran New England 
area melee circuits in like New Hampshire to Massachusetts to Vermont to Connecticut and so on. But over there in Europe, not that these tournaments are happening in a country in person for the same circuit for this year of 2021, but that there'd be different people hosting it, different organizations, whatever, whatever. And you are trying to compete for points to get into the Smash Summits. You're trying to also practice and prepare for the Smash World Tour, which is still happening. So what was your reaction to all this when it first started and how have you felt about your performance in the same circuit leading up to the finale this past Sunday, if I recall correctly? Yeah, so when Slippy first came out, um, it was obviously great. You know, just for me, the biggest thing was having an unranked queue because in 2020, late 2019, I started doing melee coaching and immediately I had a pretty high demand for it, which just got higher the more I did it and the more like I did uh, like advertisements for it. Uh, so by the time uh, Slippy came out, I was already in a stage where I was doing 20 to 30 lessons a month. So if you're doing that much melee analysis for other people, at least for me, it was very hard to put the same amount of time and effort into it for myself. Because when I do analysis for other people, I know that these people deserve uh, that I do my best to help them improve. But I personally, like when I just didn't feel like it, I wouldn't do it. Whereas just going on unranked and playing and also playing different characters so I could help my students who also play different characters uh, out much better was a great way of both improving my coaching and thus also improving my overall game understanding. Uh, most of the people who I would directly connect to and just play and play with, I could already play with pretty decently on the pre-slippy net play. Because usually I just play, you know, someone from the UK where we'd have like 20 to 40 ping or, you know, like someone from Sweden, like Pipsqueak with whom I had like 30, 40 ping or something similar. So like that was fine, right? Um, obviously, Slippy just makes it better because you don't get these occasional stutters. But it took me a while to properly recognize that and get back to a mindset where I was actually willing to take the time and effort for myself to rephrase my goals, uh, redefine them, and then also do what I know I needed to do to get to those goals. Um, when the same circuit started, I was super happy about it because I was always a big fan of online tournaments. Um, overall, I have some other opinions on online tournaments that I'll get to later, but in that moment, I just thought it was amazing. It was great to have because Europe was kind of like in a in a lull state. We had the Poilon Arena tournaments in uh, 2020, and then having the same circuit be announced in uh, for 2021 was amazing because we didn't really have much uh, in the time in between. We had like some invitationals or charity events in December, but it was great to know that there would be one big tournament every month that people could practice for and where people knew something was on the line just because there were so many big names behind it. Uh, I personally think I did decently at the at the same events. I entered them because I wanted to be part of the same final event. Uh, and I think I got top eight at all of them except for the last one. And at the last one, I knew that I wouldn't be able to attend the finals anyways. So once I lost the winners, I was kind of like, yeah, I could like win the next set and then have to wait two hours for top eight to start and then probably get like fifth or fourth, like at all of the same events previously. So I kind of just didn't really 
couldn't be arsed anymore and just you know <laughs> let, let things happen just like press buttons but no jones like i just got outplayed and lost uh but at that point i realized that this had come to an end and i'd also realized that online tournaments are amazing but they're not amazing if you try to recreate the standard two-day major tournament experience you know because if you're playing doubles all day on saturday and then on sun uh, you have like singles pools round robin pools on saturday as well and then sunday is like bracket from noon to like 10 p.m that's just a lot of melee to play and also it's so much downtime like you play and then even when you have to play there's a bunch of setup with your potential webcam and the broadcast and making sure that production can see your gameplay feed and everything um when i played in poilon coliseum which was also this year um, which was an invitational with two pools of eight players each with like just like the very best players of europe that experience really showed me what online tournaments could be capable of because you can just have like these huge round robin or ladder events you don't have to worry about time constraints because you basically have an infinite amount of setups and people can just always play whenever they can and there's so much less downtime because you just go from like high stakes set to another high stakes set and that is what i ended up learning about online tournaments is that they're great if it's just like one evening of playing no matter if there's like a ladder event where like you play ladder and then the top eight or top 16 go into a bracket or whether you just like make a big round robin pool everyone plays each other um that is i think what i enjoy most about online tournaments is when you can play a lot of good players with little downtime because if i'm going to genesis or shine and like i play my match and i know i have an hour break before my next match I can just go to a setup and watch like some other top 30 players duke it out or i can go sit down in front of like the uh on the on the stage and like watch the big big match happening on stream on the monitor uh so there's so much stuff you can do at those in tournament events because there's people around you to spend time with but at online events you just kind of play your match and then you're like yeah your next match is up like after these five sets on stream and you know you have to plan like 20 minutes for each set so you have to like mess around for an hour and a half but you also kind of have to warm up starting a couple minutes before you said it's just a bit i don't know it's kind of sad for me you know because you can't really just play all the time because you need breaks but you also can't take a proper break and you can't really enjoy the break because there's nothing to do other than sit around because you can't even really go outside and do something else because there's not enough time to do so so it was just uh yeah, the same events were organized very well. They ran really well. They were scheduled well. But just like the experience of having a 100-person bracket with Rod Robin pools and then double elimination bracket, uh, that was a bit much, especially if you add doubles on top of it. Because the doubles same circuit was also decently important for Pipswick and myself because we knew that the winner of the circuit would get uh, flights to Air, five, uh, Air 6. That's hopefully gonna happen eventually if COVID ever decides to leave us alone so yeah it was just a lot of melee i mean it wasn't even that much melee to be played it was just a bunch of sitting around like waiting for stuff to happen on you on have a, to on stay on standby you can't fully power yeah. down right exactly and i got better at that i like started taking very i started searching out routes that i could walk outside and like measured how long each of them takes so I could go on strategic walks in between sets, knowing exactly, right, I have like mm. 20 minutes, I can walk this exact route and I'll be back like, and have enough time to warm up or something. 
Uh, and that helped kind of, you know, made me feel like I was using, using the t downtime I had for something useful. Uh, but in the end, yeah, I think online tournaments are still very, very valuable. Um, but I, yeah, as I said before, I don't think you should be trying to like recreate the exact online major experience and schedule. I think it should just be, you should actually use the advantages online tournaments give you, which is you can play a bunch of sets at the same time because there's no, you don't have limited setups. So you can just do like a ladder or a bunch of round robin pools or whatever. You know, just like a format where people don't play two sets and then have to wait four hours until bracket catches up. Yeah, that sounds like it's uh, it's always going to be a challenge because on the one hand, you want everybody to feel like they can enter an event and be able to get, a get tournament sets in. But on the other hand, it's also, like you said, when you lose and winners, you go, I don't know, I have to wait for losers to catch up and I'm just in my room. It's not like I can go around and say hi to people or watch other matches unless I want to watch the, the stream and, you know, be a degenerate in Twitch chat. But it's just, it's different than, than an in-person event where there's just more things to do there. You can actually get distracted properly. I, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from. And I would just say that it's better in my mind that these events happen instead of just going, Oh, you know what? Probably, you know, we should just do what we can to just wait it out until COVID's not a thing anymore because it's, oh, yeah, it, it's, it's approaching two years and you certainly don't want to go <laughs> anywhere near that long without at least doing something. So I would say from my perspective overall, the same circuit 2021 was a success and, it was such a shame that you were not at the final bracket this past Sunday. It was really cool to see Pipsqueak win from losers. Could mm. <laughs> go to two summits. Very, very, very happy guy right now. <laughs> if I can, yeah, for sure. If I can uh, read between the lines of all the all the tweets that he's making, but good for Pipsqueak. That's really cool to see. But you and Pipsqueak won doubles. So just talk to me a little bit uh, about about that specifically, since I didn't get to see it. Like. Who did you have to be to uh, in the grand finals, that sort of thing, and like your perspective on doubles in general? Um, for the same doubles finals, uh, we it was a sixteen-team bracket, so our first set was against uh, two decent players: uh, was a Falco and a Marth, a Jormis and a Berv. Probably don't know them; they're all right. Uh, the funny thing about that set was that in the second game, Pipsqueak's frame one started being broken. Uh -oh. Like he would just start up smash in place over and over again and couldn't stop it. And when he started <laughs> jumping, he would just always up there every time. It was like his C-stick was constantly being pressed over and over again. So it was like in the middle of game two, we were up like, I don't know, six talks, six talks to three or something. And he would just stand near the ledge trying to edge guard someone and just start doing smash attacks. And then he would start saying help. And I was like, what are you doing? You're edge guarding. And he was like, I can't move. And I was like, oh no. And then, yeah, we played out that game and just told him to like stay in your center stage and I'll try to do things. And we won that game. And then we still had to play a third game. We're up 2-0, it was a best of five. And then we had to think, do we play the next game like that? And we thought there's no way. Like, if he cannot move his character, like, 70% of the time, we cannot play it. So we tried fixing the box, uh, fixing the frame one, you know, unplugging, replugging it, using a different cable, none of that worked. So he decided to get his GameCube controller. 
and play on Genki controller, which he hasn't done in like years outside of like tech demonstration when he tries to show something off. Uh, so we warmed up before the uh, third game of the set. I told him to like, all right, go to ledge, do a ledge dash. Instead of going to ledge, doing a ledge dash, he just like runs off stage, does an up B, goes to the completely wrong direction and loses his stock. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you just don't go near the ledge and will somehow manage. <laughs> and then we won that set. And then we had a bit of time before the next set because everything was being streamed. And so it was like all the rounds of winners. And then there was like two or three rounds of losers. And then there was another round of winners before we had to play. Uh, and during that time, we tried everything. Uh, he was streaming all of this. So I was like watching his stream and like guiding him through what to do. He opened up the frame one, took out the keycaps, took out the switch, like tried blowing into it, took like some <laughs> canned air and like emptied the entire thing in there and it just wouldn't get better so he managed or we decided to just put his frame one on uh, his heater and just let it heat up and hope that it dries out because at that point we figured that water must have gotten into it as he was cleaning it before the first set oh wow. and then him and i played on gamecube controller where or, or like i always play gamecube controller but he was playing against me on his gamecube controller and with each game that we played, I lost a little bit more hope that we could win this tournament. Because <laughs> each, each ledge dash he missed, each accidental side B he did, I was like, okay, this is going to be rough. But obviously I had to play it cool. I had to be like, all right, even if you can't play on your main controller, I think we can win, you know? We can figure out a strategy where we can use the advantages you still have and play around your disadvantages. And, you know, maybe I'll have to pull a bit more weight than you, but we can manage. And then luckily, before our winner semi-set against AMSA and Knuckles, who are a very good static team from the Netherlands, obviously people know AMSA, and Knuckles is an extremely good Marth, who is like the definition of a double specialist, who's like insane in doubles. Mm. Uh, and Marth and Sheik is a good combo. Yeah, AMSA always plays Fox in doubles now. Oh, um, okay. That's my bad. Yeah, it has assuming. been... No, has been doing that for a while. Amsa has always had a fox, but I think Amsa just plays only fox and doubles now because it's fox and doubles, right? You just run around, backhand, up smash people, and you win. You know, that's Pipsqueak. Pipsqueak's on my entire game plan, right? Uh, but yeah, b right before that set, Pipsqueak uh, tried out the frame one again, and during the warm-up, uh, the up smash thing only happened like twice in like three minutes. So we figured that if he's going to like only do accidental smash attacks like two or three times during a game, it's probably going to be fine. So we ended up winning that set as well. And then luckily before Grands, it kind of went away. I think it happened one more time in Winners Finals and Grands, but it was still okay. We had to play against Kinzo and Riggs, who is a German team, German Fox and Falco. Uh, those two played against Frenzy and Mint the round before. And anyone who's ever played online melee with Mint knows that it's not the most fun experience. Just because your frames per second will generally not be at the 60 range. It will generally always be a bit below that. Uh, and there have always been complaints from every team that has ever played against Frenzy and Mint. But this time the TOs just were like, okay, it's it's too much. It's been like this for months and it's gotten that hasn't gotten better. We can't force our competitors to go through this. And then Frenzy was kind enough to just say, like, yeah, if we're gonna make the experience worse for other players, we're just gonna DQ and uh, so yeah, that's why Frenzy Mint didn't end up playing against Pipsqueak and myself. Uh, instead, we played Kinza and Riggs twice, and we won those sets as well, and that went pretty well. Uh, yeah, so teaming with Pip, always very fun. You know, it's just the standard two good Fox players who are friends, just like doing their thing in doubles. Um, 
we did play best at the final event. Uh, I think at the previous events, I was always overthinking stuff. Because when I play teams, I'm always trying to be both the, you know, just like do well in game, but also be like an, a psychological anchor for the team. Where if things go wrong, I like can pinpoint what happened that made it go wrong and what we can do to fix it. And I always try to be very receptive to how my teammate is reacting to stuff. So that if I can tell that they're getting annoyed or tilted, I can help them get back on track and like, you know, get them refocused on the game. Uh, but if I'm always doing that while I'm playing, then I'm using so much brain power on the out-of-game stuff that my in-game stuff suffers from it just a little bit. So when we were playing the same finals, I decided to just play and save the thinking for in-between games or just like not do it at all. Because I like we, we're both so good that we know what we're supposed to do and we know how we want to do it. Like Pipsquick doesn't need me telling him to not miss his ledge dashes, he knows that. Uh, when I'm playing with someone who's a little bit worse, then maybe I will have to like remind them of the basics more often, or just like the general strategy. But him and I have played enough teams now that our general strategy is just ingrained in our gameplay. So if we just take it to a calm gameplay and just play, then we will play better individually. And if you're playing better individually, it will also make the teamwork easier because there will be less hard spots where you have to save someone, where someone is like losing early stocks. And that ended up being a very helpful experience. And I think we'll, we learned a lot from the circuit. Um, and hopefully we can continue winning at air if we get to team at that event as well, which I hope we do. And what about your chances against Leffen and Ice? Which that's a team that people think about aside from Armada and Android or Armada Mitsu King. Like, what would you? How would you feel about a quadruple Fox match against um, them? Yeah, I think Leffen and Ice haven't teamed in a long time, from what I can tell. Uh, no, I know I that at Genesis, so yeah, at Genesis in early 2020, I teamed with Ice, and I don't think Leffen played teams at all. Um, so I don't even know if Leffen and Ice is still a thing. Like, it's obviously like Leffen barely enters EU tournaments, uh, much less EU online tournaments and, uh, you know, much less doubles at EU online tournaments. And I can, I can understand very well why he wouldn't do that. Uh, but yeah, like, obviously that would be hard because Leffen is a very good player, which may be shocking to hear, but he is. Um, and also Pipsqueak and myself were a very good team. But we're not the most practiced team. There are some players in Europe, like Amsa, Knuckles, uh, Maye, Ice, Tarok, even. There's a bunch of people who play a ton of doubles. And funnily enough, a lot of these teams didn't end up playing in or making it into the same doubles finals. Because it feels like the online doubles scene kind of evolved in mid-2021. Uh, you know, like people like Fuzziness also play a bunch of teams now. So there are very dedicated doubles players who so would have been a very hard challenge for Pisquik and myself. But I think on a good day where we're playing like that, we definitely could have beaten all of them. Uh, especially because Pipsqueak kind of like Pipsqueak has beaten Ice a bunch nowadays and is very confident against Ice. And that uh, I think that would have gone well. And you know, if it's if Leffen's on the screen, it's always gonna be hard. But if there's if there's a 
place and time where you can cheese left and somehow beat him, then it's probably going to be online doubles. So I wouldn't be too afraid of playing <laughs> left-handed ice at an online doubles tournament. It's probably going to be more the case of an online doubles exhibition. Uh, I think about King of the Cube. There's going to hopefully eventually be undercards added to that. Toph has already said there's going to be undercards at some point once it gets off the ground. I don't know if you heard about this or not. The King. I of have the... not. No. Yeah, Toph and Atriarch. Like and Atriarch are putting on like an exhibition match every Friday, uh, and the winner stays to the next like Friday. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Where there's not a major happening. So there won't be one tonight because we're talking on Friday afternoon, main stages this weekend brackets are happening right now. So it's not going to be a thing tonight, but for like Fridays where there's not going to be a tournament, I think it'll be on Atriac and Toast streams, King of the cube, but then hopefully undercards. And I think about bring your own beef like get get two players who have like you know some beef they want to settle i know that no fluxes is making a lot of friends and enemies simultaneously right now in america at the very least i love that guy <laughs> uh, i don't get it at all but i love the tweets so kage versus no fluxes at the very least i'd like to see that for king of the cube Heck yeah and hey i mean i'd be certainly into the idea of seeing left and ice versus nikki pipsqueak Although I'm sure there's there's other probably other ideas that you have as you as you think about it. Anyway, it's gonna be yeah, cool to I think, see what that becomes. Yeah, I think you'd have to put a lot of money into it to get Leffen to be interested in doing that. And doing it because I don't think he's the biggest doubles fan, and I don't think like yeah, I think him and Ice and I have no idea how close they are, but I do not think they're that close. So it's not like you know it would be like Leffen teaming with his best friend. You know, it's just like. I think they teamed a lot just because like they're both Europeans going to the same US events and they were both like extremely good at that time and now ICE has gotten a, I'm not going to say worse but like the field has kind of caught up a little bit right uh so and I don't know I left him probably wouldn't get too much out of it so it would be hard to convince him but if there is a world where he's down to do it like sure why not? It sounds fun. What's I'm always your, down to play something. What's your idea of an exhibition match then, if it were for King of the Cube or otherwise? Like, what would what would pique your interest? Um, there's a bunch of stuff. There's obviously a ton of players that I would want to play. Um, for example, like even though both Ice and myself are German, I don't really get to play Ice that often. It's like once or twice a year usually. Um, so I'm always down to play Ice. Uh, let me think, because there's some rivalries, but most of the rivalries are rivalries because these people already play each other a bunch. You know, it's like, right. you know, Frenzy and Prof. Like, they play winners' finals and then two sets and grand finals at, like, every bigger UK event that exists. So while it's a very interesting storyline and it's fun to see who wins each time they play, it wouldn't really make for that good of a king of the cube uh exhibition just because these people do play all the time i'm thinking um let's see what your european players even are there i think oh, it's usually no. very fun when there's like i think it's very fun when there's some mid or lower level players who somehow have beef you know and then they play each other and you have like both of the respective communities cheering them on those are always very good but if you wanted to be viewer friendly, you would have to have some like higher level players in there. 
I would obviously love to get some of the more old school players back. Like I want to see AMSA enter more singles events. I want to see Android maybe play again. Because I remember a couple of months ago I met Android at Unranked. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Where did this come from? Because I had no idea Android was playing. And apparently Android started playing on that day again. And not sure if he's still been playing since then. But yeah, uh, for a doubles exhibition, I think Armada and Android versus like any EU doubles team that is kind of good would be really fun. Like if Pip and myself could play Armada and Android, I think that'd be super hype because either we win and it's like, okay, yeah, European teams have gotten a little bit better or we just get zero to death team combo every single time we touch the ground. And then it's like, okay, this is going to be in every single Smash compilation video for the next 10 years and I'll take it. <laughs> but you would, you would, uh, you'd be open for the challenge. Oh yeah, of course. And all for any challenge. Like if you, if you can get Zane to Europe and like, have them play best of five against me on a stream with like a hundred thousand viewers you know i'll i'll gladly take the humiliation that Air is sex. probably gonna happen yeah but you know if i if i manage to win that one game against him with my ice climbers on fd it would be so funny that i'll take <laughs> all of the risks in the world just give me the chance and i'll do it <laughs> even without wobbling i just love that you have the ice climbers uh in the back pocket there for that matchup that's awesome yeah, the great thing is, is that it doesn't necessarily just have to be that matchup. Like, if I if I ever have to play someone like Axe, right? And, mm. you know, there have been Foxes who aren't quite as good as Axe who have beaten him or, like, taken him to last hit or something. If I get to play against Axe and I can just let him pick FD, and then I get to play, like, Ice Climbers against Pikachu on FD, you know, that's, like, the easiest way to completely negate the skill difference because that matchup is not fun for Pikachu at all. And even without Wobbling... It is decently easy to play for the Ice Climbers. And that's the case for a lot of the Ice Climbers matchups, especially on FD, when you don't have to worry about people extensively platform camping you, is that you both win neutral or go even in neutral, but you outpunish people so hard and in a pretty easy manner most of the time that it's a very consistent pick, even if you don't like do a regular upkeep for it every day that you practice like each matchup every single day. Uh, that's why I think the Ice Climbers are great, because most of the characters who can chain grab Fox get chain grabbed very badly by Ice Climbers and also just by Sopo himself. Uh, so it's a very... You know, I've been thinking about who the best character on FD would be, and I do believe that, like... Marth probably the best, right? Like, big sword, big grab, big up throw, <laughs> chain grabs, whatever, you know, you know the drill. <laughs> Uh, Falco also really good on FD, just like laser everyone. But Allergy. I think Ice Climbers, Ice Climbers could be like best or second best or third best in the game on FD, just because people it's so hard to approach them once they get a Blizzard out because you kind of have to go above the Blizzard to hit them. But if there's no platforms to escape to and there's still like Nana doing a Blizzard and Popo doing up airs, you can't really stay in front of them because there's a Blizzard there. And you can't really go over them because you'll just get hit by the upper and then grabbed. So where do you go? And then it still becomes a camp war. But how do people camp you if you can just like throw ice blocks at them or just continue doing blizzards, right? Uh, I think the wobbling ban affects ICs in a lot of matchups. But if you're using them the way I do, where you specifically use them like as a counter pick for certain matchups, uh, you can just play them in the matchups where the wobbling ban isn't as relevant. Like, I'm not going to play Ices versus Puff on FD because Fox already destroys Puff on FD. You know, mm -hmm. there's no reason for me to ever play Ices there. But if I'm playing, like, Luigi or Mario, 
or Pikachu, as I said, and I can just play Ice Climbers instead, like, sure, I might lose the game, but it also forces my opponents to play so differently, and I'm used to switching back and forth between these characters all the time, because that's what I do every single time I play Unranked. It's like one game of Fox, one game of Ice Climbers, one game of Fox, one game of Ice Climbers, that, uh, yeah, usually it's very... Once you know how to play the character, it's very easy to keep it up, and the mental damage is insane. Yes. If you've seen the faces of the people who counterpick FD against me, like Marth players, Luigi players, whatever, and then they see me go Ice Climbers, the first thing they do is like look at it and shake their head. And then when the game starts and they lose, all of them have the same reaction, that they lose the game, they look down like they're super sad, they look back up, want to start the next game, hover over FD, but they don't press A. Because then they start thinking, do I really want to do this again? I just, I feel humiliated. Do I want to do this again to myself? And then suddenly, like, Marth players will start counterpacking Battlefield instead, which I'd much rather play on as Fox compared to FD. Or, like, Luigi or Pikachu players will pick, like, Fountain instead, or, you know, just not FD. And I've already brought them to the point where by beating them with Ice Climbers or just by them knowing that the counterpick option exists, I can avoid playing on my worst stage, like Fox's objectively worst stage, just because there's a chance that I could do that, and they know that the matchup would be a losing one for them just based on the character matchup. And they can't really tell if my ICs are that good or not, but since I have gotten some good wins with them now, most people will have to respect them, and some of them will be like, oh yeah, they can't be that good, right? And then they'll go to FD, they'll lose a game, and then they'll never go to FD again. And that's the end goal of this counterpick. And it will get Zane eventually. Might not be this year, might not be next year, but one day you will see me beat Zane with Ice Climbers on FT, and it will be so funny. Like, I'm, I'm just gonna clip that, make it my pinned tweet, and never do anything ever again. That will just be my whole like life purpose is getting that one game on FD with Ice Climbers. There's gonna be uh, also a follow up tweet. You're gonna like it's gonna be like a picturesque sunset view. You're holding up your hand in the air like number one, something like that, and the camera is like <laughs> behind you, so we see your back, and it's just like I'm going out on top. I'm down 2-0 in the set I win the one game with Ice Climbers I'm down 2-1 I just unplug my controller and leave I'm no, like, okay, no, no way I, I want to see you. game 2 because Zane would certainly take you back to FD I mean I feel like there'd just be too much pride involved a second FD game because Kadoran playing against Aklo at a nightclub a few weeks ago went against I his link that. again and FD yeah. and afterwards said, I wanted to do that. I wanted to get more matchup experience with that. So I know mm. I could have gone to a different stage and he would have dropped Link and we would have played game five in a different setup. But I wanted to do a second game versus Aklo's Link on FD, which is, wow, yeah. what a competitor's mindset. I would think that Zane would kind of be in the same way. I can see it. Or he would be shook and he'd be too much of a competitor to not take me seriously and be like, okay. This player clearly has something up their sleeve. Maybe I should just not play into their one trap card that they have. True. You know, I, I don't know. We'll have to see Zane, once it happens. Zane can eat a lot of 10. foxes for breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll just keep playing, keep doing my best, and maybe one day I'll get there. Yeah. And hopefully, got to first make it to Zane. Yeah. For myself, I hope to see you 
and your ice climbers plague against Aklo and his link on FD. That would be oh, that would be so funny. Yeah, yeah but I don't think Aklo <laughs> ever goes link against Fox because that matchup isn't really fun at all. Uh, <laughs> no, I, so, yeah. I would have to guess that it'd be just Fox Ditto's on FD, but I can't see why either yeah. of you would want to go there since it's again just like yeah, let's go to FOD, let's go to Pokemon Stadium, let's go to Battlefield, anywhere but Final Destination and the Fox Ditto. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes if you're feeling desperate and you're just like, okay, I'm getting out punished, let me just go to the stage where even I, on my worst day, can't get zero to death because it's FD. You know, it's kind of like the equalizer in that sense sometimes. Uh, and usually when you try that, you end up getting four-stock anyways because then your opponent just hits you four times. But yeah, uh, would be cool. You know, maybe if I ever make it to a summon and there's like a secondary bracket or something, then then I can play Link Ice Climbers with Aklo, and I'm sure it's going to be a very fun 45-minute long set that every viewer just loves to watch, and I'm all here for it. They do love that. They always say that in Twitch chat. They love those 45-minute sets. <laughs> I, I do think they're very, very funny. I think it was Aklo versus Lord or something against some Peach, Kalamazoo, I don't know. I, it's so funny every time. <laughs> yeah. Like just these seven and a half minute long games on FD where Aklo just like pulls bombs and throws them. And then he pulls another bomb and throws it. And then the next time he does something, he's pulling a bomb and throwing it. <laughs> and it just keeps going. It is. I I live for that stuff. Finally I, gets a down air taunt and pull heck, more yeah. bombs. <laughs> yes. And then occasionally the boomerang. Those always get me hyped up. Like, is he going to throw it straight? Is he going to throw it up? Is he going to throw it into the ground and have it bounce up from the ground? You know, mind games. Insane. Yes. So for Good. you, you're going to be going to the Smash World Tour World Finals here in December. Do you want to preview a little bit of that, what your mindset is? And that's how we'll start to wrap up. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I think those the Smash World Tour Finals will be very fun, and I'm looking forward to it. I think EU is sending a lot of their very best players. I think the only ones who are missing are Solo Battle and Mint, mostly. Um, those are like the obvious ones who couldn't make it to the Smash World Tour Final event and who now aren't there. Uh, Prusset is also still insanely good, but hasn't really entered online tournaments at all. So, yeah, I think Europe is sending some of their best players. Uh, Happy that I got to qualify. Happy that I won the tiebreaker for seventh place as well. So maybe I won't be last seed at the finals event, and maybe I'll just be you now like in the the top ten seeds, but not the very last seed, because <laughs> I did place above someone else at the European qualifier. Let's go. Um, right now, uh, the COVID cases in Germany are absolutely going crazy. I think Germany is like the country that had the most new COVID cases, uh, like out of all countries in a single day. Uh, today or yesterday. So there is a chance that some regulations will come in that might make it hard for me to attend. Uh, since I'm vaccinated, hopefully it shouldn't completely ruin the trip. Um, but if I have to go into quarantine for two weeks and the event is right before Christmas, then that would be kind of annoying because then I wouldn't get to see my family at all during Christmas and stuff like that. Uh, so hopefully things just somehow don't get worse anymore and somehow get better. Not really looking like it right now. Uh, so it's just a question of seeing how the regulations end up changing both in the US and both in Germany to see how I have to adjust my travel plans or if I can go or not. Uh, but yeah, the event itself will be sick. I'm arriving on the Monday before the Smash Walter Finals weekend. 
so I have plenty of time to like get used to the to the time zone and explore Florida a bit, you know, pet some alligators or whatever Florida people do. Uh, uh, so hopefully not great. COVID here as well. <clears throat> yeah, uh, gotta make sure it's staying safe, and then the final event will be very fun because the venue there will be the last chance qualifier I think on Friday or Saturday. Right. I think Friday. And uh, that'll be very stacked. I'm not sure if I can join that. But we kind of, you know, if there is like a tournament happening, there's every good player there, you know. Like, uh, if I can enter it, like, that'd be fun, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I, ha I have to guess no, but I mean, sure, you'll find out. And at the very least, the whole week, you'll have plenty of practice, top player practice, I'm sure. Yeah, I can just warm people up, like, for their bracket matches or whatever. Uh, but it's always nice that when you get to go to the US as a European player, because for even those who try very hard, for them it only happens like once a year, if at all, or like much less than that. Uh, I want to just get all the bracket experience I can get against the top players. Um, so if I can enter that, that's great. If not, I can just hang out with people and play them in friendlies, which is also very fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. I hope the flights work out. I hope the airbnb and hotel that we're staying at work out i hope the tournament can happen the way it's supposed to happen and doesn't get uh, messed up by covid returning with full force at least that's how it is in germany right now yeah i don't know it's it's hard for me to be very excited about it just because the whole trip feels a bit unsure right now sure um, but once i'm done with my uh, university exams uh, i'll be done with those in two weeks I was planning on playing a bunch of melee and reaching that next level anyways. Cause this is one I a lot of the time, like during the last year during COVID, I just felt like I haven't really known how to get better and what to do to get there. But I feel like now after the you know, the online events and then playing at the European Smash World Tour qualifier, I finally feel like I have an idea of where to start again. And I finally feel like for the first time in years, or like one and a half years. I actually have the energy again to actually use that time for myself outside of coaching for other people, uh, actually apply those things. I tell other people uh, they can do to get better and actually do them myself. Because I noticed that whenever I play a tournament match and I having trouble with something in game, I just think, what would I tell my student here? And then I instantly know what to do. And I can just apply the same thing to like my my like own practice routine and how I try to improve. If I'm just like, all right, I don't really know what to do to get better. If a student tells me that, what do I tell them? And then I instantly know like, okay, if they say this, this means that they're thinking this and that. And the way to like really help with that is doing these things. So it's like, I have all the information in my head. I just have to like reflect on my own state of mind and my own gameplay and then do those own things for myself. Uh, that's why I actually took a coaching lesson myself uh, from someone within Counts Academy a while ago, so that I would have someone who can hold me accountable. But I think I'm kind of... Whenever I take coaching lessons from other people now, I just see all the things they're not doing as a coach that I would like put very heavy emphasis on. You know, it's like use of different media and making sure that at the end of every lesson they're very clearly defined uh, goals and solutions and how they could be practiced and implemented you know so when i'm doing when i'm receiving a lesson all i can think about is 
how would I teach this to someone or what would I say to someone? What media and what language and what rhetoric would I use to help them understand it best? So I think I'm just, I'm too deep into the coaching thing to, you know, not use it on myself. And I'm also too deep into it to like have someone else help me out that way. I just gotta sit down, I don't know, maybe, maybe meditate or whatever, just focus on myself, think about my goals, as I said in the beginning, and then just do the things I know I have to do. And that will hopefully, hopefully then the next time I can win doubles with Pipsqueak and then also play him in singles, in the singles bracket, uh, in grand finals. That will be the best timeline. Just gotta first make sure I can actually attend the singles tournament because I couldn't last time at the same finals and then also make sure I can make it far enough to, you know, be consistently good enough to get there. Because I have beaten most of those European players before. Um, but it's just gotta come together and it's gotta start coming together regularly so that, you know, I'm just not always like getting fourth place at every tournament. And then I'm always losing to the people I beat at the previous one, and then it just loops back around every time. Yeah. So you want to put it all together by this time next year, or what's your what is your immediate goal? Um, my immediate goal is to beat certain players uh, that I've beaten before. Uh, but where it's been a while since I've beaten them. There's people like Prof, who I beat in uh, 2019 a couple of times. And since then, I haven't really gotten to play Prof a lot, but I know that if I did, it would probably still be like very close and in his favor right now. So that's like someone where I'm like, okay, I know that the way I view the game and the flowcharts that I use should in general be uh, lead to me doing better in that matchup. Uh, but Prof is just a more experienced, a better player. And a lot of the European uh, top players, like some of the more old school ones, like Triff, Ice, and Prof, they are they differentiate themselves from the more new school European players, like Pipsqueak and Frenzy, in that they, they have a higher tendency to just read the shit out of you, if I can put it like that. Like, they will just hit you in a spot where you don't expect it, and then they will exactly know what you might want to do after and just take your stock for it. Whereas with Pipsqueak and Frenzy, it's more obvious to tell what situations they're looking for and how they want to play them. But because their flowcharts are just good and they work out, even if you know what they want to do, you often can't do much about it. So it's like the difference between, you know, playing RPS with like Prof or Ice is a bit easier because like they, uh, you don't have to be as afraid of what they do. But then just like some random stuff will happen and your stock will be gone because you got red in a spot where you didn't even know you could get red. Uh, and I think that kind of messes with me a little bit. And the same thing that I applied for doubles at the same finals is probably going to help me in singles as well, is to not overthink stuff as I'm playing. Because I keep trying to analyze my gameplay during a set the same way I would analyze a VOD of mine. You know, like a gameplay VOD of mine. But uh, VOD analysis and adapting in the middle of a tournament set are very different things and should be done with very different approaches and rethinking that has helped me a lot just like do better against anyone both in friendlies and in tournament um i just haven't gotten to enter any uh, big singles tournament since the smash vulture qualifier so i'll have to see if it actually helps or not but i'm i'm pretty confident that 
I know what I want to accomplish. I know what I have and can do to get there. And I'm pretty sure that like by April or May of next year, I'll hopefully be beating or ha at least have beaten some of these players. I love that. So looking forward to see what you do in 2022. The professor, the up gamer, the captain. Nikki, thank you so much for joining me on Bottom Smash Mountain. Can we just tell the people where to find you so that if they want either lessons from you to send you melee questions, which you invite people to do on your Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so my Twitter is at 11fanboy. Uh, once again, for legal reasons, that Twitter handle is a joke. Um, but you can always uh, follow me there, send me melee questions, whatever you want. Uh, if you're down to take coaching from me, then uh, I'll unfortunately have to say that I'm very sold out at the moment and there's ah. a waiting list that you can get on. Uh, it's been that way for the past year, pretty much, that there's always like 10 people on a wait list and all the 25 spots are taken. Um, but maybe like if you just want to try it out and get like a one-time lesson without doing the whole subscription thing, then hit me up and we can work something out. Uh, yeah, just my Twitter is always a good place to reach me. Uh, I have a question. Have you ever uploaded any of your lessons to uh, like a YouTube channel or anything? Yeah, uh, within Counts Academy, all the lessons that are done are being uploaded, but they're only visible to members of Counts Academy, uh, whether that be students or content consumers. However, when people are interested in taking lessons from me, uh, I usually just ask them what character they play, and then I'll send them uh, a recording of one of the lessons I've done. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. That's awesome. Character. That's a great that way they to can, you know, get kind of get an idea it. of what they're looking for. Exactly. Because I don't want to make them completely public, because that would be kind of unfair to all the content consumers who pay specifically to be able to see those lessons. Absolutely. But if you're just one person who's interested in taking lessons and you want to see what it's like, I can show you like the types of documents I use to like help my students uh, learn and retain information, like what visual stuff I like to use to uh, better illustrate how situations play out. Uh, so yeah, just message me. Even if you just have a melee question, you're like, yo, how do I wave dash better? I'm up for anything. Let me know. I love talking about the game. So no matter if it's a melee question, a mentality question, a goal setting question, a question about the coaching, I'm all here for it. Actively trying to make EU melee better, or I mean, I guess, I mean, American currency probably counts as well in the Patreon uh, yeah, par for any, Coast anyone, Academy. <laughs> anyone but I love that, that you're trying to make yourself better, players around you better. It's really, really cool to see that. And of course, you've been very gracious with your time here. So thank you so much for making that uh, available to me and for being on Bottom Smash Mountain with me as well. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, shout outs to Team Up Gamer. Y'all are great. Everyone who still has Up Gamer in their Twitter name, I salute you. Oh, Fighting do you want to make any? I don't. Yeah, I, I always forget to ask this until last minute. But do you want to make any shout outs in German or do you not want to do that? No, I'm good. I think all my German homies understand English just fine and they know I <laughs> love and appreciate them. So we're good. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much.